Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and I feel like our entire two weeks have led up to this point. We had Nadal, we had Djokovic in the quarterfinal with a chance to play each other, and both of them came through in four sets. It was not, uh, it was not smooth sailing. The level of opponents certainly rose for, uh, for both of them, uh, but a four-set victory for each of them. And we'll start with Novak. It's the one that's fresh in our minds. Uh, match point was probably about 15 minutes ago from the time we're recording now. And just one thing before we get to in the weeds of uh, the technicalities of the match was uh, just Novak's reaction to winning the match. And it was uh, certainly noticeably demonstrative. And I'm not, you know, what, what do you think brought about that kind of reaction? I mean, it was clearly different from your typical okay, I just want a match reaction from Novak. I think, uh, first of all, it, he was teed up by a fan that had been there earlier in the evening that he was jawing with. And every time in that little, in that segment of the match that Novak did something good, he turned around to that, that heckler. Um, then just, you know, losing a set in a tiebreaker and then, having the crowd have to be cleared out there's a break there and then tripping and falling um i i think he was just like i gotta get through this i gotta get through this and when he finally did he had that release i couldn't agree more that's exactly right and novak you know he's had his share of dramatic mat late stage matches at roland garris he had a couple of semis that have taken two days he had a rain delayed um final once that went over to a Monday. So it's just, and again, it becomes the, the ticking clock. It's like every minute I'm now is a little less time to really rest and repair. And again, we know our guys, they like their, their rituals and they wanna know that they can get their sleep and get their, this is like, oh my God, another set, another set. And now it's late and, and I don't want this to go five sets. And then, and then also that, uh, that disruption when they're evacuating the, the stadium and the fans are leaving. They got to come back and warm up. I, I thought it was kind of almost kind of funny about tennis. We warm up our opponents. That's mm -hmm. unlike any sport. And then we resume. Hey, yeah, we've just been going at it with each other for two and a half, three hours. Let's hit some. <laughs> let's hit. Let's hit a little. Hey, you want some overheads? Yeah. Hit. Hit. Jog, jog, jog. Hit. Yeah. Hit little hits. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay, and of yeah. course, I was looking at their ground strokes in the warm-up, which are nothing like their ground strokes in the match. I mean, it's it's almost like a separate sort of technique. Um, you know, Berrettini's hitting 108 forehands in the match, and then in the warm-up, he's hitting like 10 miles well, an hour. That's kind of funny. I mean, it's like in no other sport, and again, it's already kind of curious that it's done before the match, but you, you, know, you don't see that in like boxing. You know, hey... Hey, Fraser, Ali, yeah, let's give me a few little things. Yeah, and then some pads. Now we're coming back. We're coming back after delay. And now we're going to do it. But anyway, it was, uh, I think the emotion part was Novak. Um, yeah, just erupting. And it's like, okay, finally, 
got through this. And uh, we talked about this before that fourth set, tight fourth set is really critical because my God, you don't want to go back. There's a fifth set. I can't deal with this. And the Roth is already home. Yeah. He certainly didn't want to go five, but I also think as, as Amy said, it was losing the third set, but how he lost the third set because, you know, he was up five, four in the tie break serving and made two first ball errors and was legitimately almost automatic on those balls. I mean, he had an, a tremendous first serve points, one percentage, his first strike tennis was just flawless. And then just blip, just like that third set tie break, two really important points. And he misses those first balls. I think he was probably fuming about that for the entirety of the fourth set. And I do, I think, I think that's my theory on why he was so uh, vocal after winning the match. Well, and a guy like Berrettini creates his form of disruption and the application of pressure. We were all uh, messaging each other during parts of the match and how Berrettini applies a pressure and Novak, Novak likes mostly not missing in tiebreakers. He's talked about that. So he likes to play a way that helps him stay airtight. But when you play as someone who's as explosive at times as Berrettini, you don't quite how to manage that. So then Novak kind of, yeah, he, he missed two shots that he would, you would hardly ever see him miss in a match situation, but the scoreboard, the tiebreaker, trying to get out of this match, all of it. Yeah. It's almost well, like Pavlov's dog. It's like you're, you're conditioned to a certain speed and you're seeing that speed and you're having to react really quickly to that speed. And then you got a, an easy ball and it's like, okay, don't mess this up because this isn't coming at me 100 miles an hour. Um, but Novak, to his credit, was doing the same thing. He had great strategy on first serve. He was taking a lot of pace off of some of his first serves, but then he would fire one in. And it was like he was conditioning Berrettini. Um, and then he'd, he'd, you know, pull the bomb and go the other way. Well, you got Berrettini was off balance. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gil. Well, I was going to say when Novak was taking off for the first serve and hitting the kick serve, Berrettini was like in the worst possible spot. He was right in the middle. He wasn't far back enough where the ball dropped. He wasn't far up enough where he was taking it before it hopped up. So he's six foot five and hitting Novak's kick serve above his head and never adjusts the whole match returned the same way the whole match. And after the first three service games by Novak, where he faced break points and saved them admirably with his serve and his forehand, Novak never faced a break point again for the entire match. And Berrettini returned the same way the rest of the match. And uh, that's why I was saying before we got on the air that uh, sometimes watching Matteo Berrettini is a frustrating experience for me because he, he changes so little about what he's doing. Um, but I guess let's let's get to where Djokovic found the edge in this match. What were the keys for you, um, Joel? Well, I just think Novak is just so in control of his movement and his balance. And as you said earlier, Gil, a couple of shows ago, he's going to pin him into that backhand. Have another backhand. Have another backhand. Here, have another backhand. I don't care if you know. It doesn't matter if you know. You're going to have to hit more of them. And Novak, again, he's like there's such a disparity and such a, between Berrettini's forehand and backhand. So we all got to know that. And he executed. So he's, do you have it in you to then run around backhands, Mateo, and hit big forehands? They're going to compromise me. The inside in comes back to the forehand. I mean, there are a lot of uh, geometric issues. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see Berrettini evolve. But Novak, I mean, he just, 
he just it's not just that he stays in points it's just how he just imposes himself yeah i think you really called it gil in our last show that uh he used the um backhand to uh he hit to berrettini's backhand and pinned him um he drew a lot of errors on the backhand um mateo didn't have the slice going today but mateo also hit a lot of forehand errors today as well as he was hitting those winners um particularly in the last two sets he also had a fair share of errors on the forehand side so gil good strategy by you but the key for the match for me i think was the way that novak returned um it, unlike Berrettini, who didn't seem to have a handle on a good return position, Novak really mixed his return position well, add court, deuce court, situational for the score, based on what he thought was coming. And it was just so brilliant. It was so smart and probably a prime example of why Djokovic will go down as the greatest returner in the history of the game. Well, and I think of, I was thinking of returns. I was thinking of the the, the great returners of the game, I would say, are um, Djokovic, Agassi, and Connors for different reasons versus different styles. And uh, Connors was in a net rushing era, and so he was great at returning against incoming net rushers, faster courts. Agassi, a little bit more of an explosive returner, dangerous. Novak for depth is just incredible. And I think he adjusts his position to figure out where per our lanes of the court. In this case, I'm returning to C and D. I'm returning to C and D come deal with that and see what you have. And I think for Berrettini, the upside is gonna be learning to hit a more emphatic down the line backhand, be it a slice or a drive, because that's, that's a shot you need in today's game to get the guy moving that way. So um, Novak, it, it's, a, it's a real form of chess because it's, it takes a really skilled returner to be able to aim returns off big serves to certain places. How does he do it? I, I mean, how does he do it? I think that's the key. I, you know, it's like there is not a single player on tour that doesn't know, oh, I should try to return to Berrettini's backhand. Like, this is not a secret. This is out there. But it's can you actually do it? And the consistency, the rate at which Djokovic, especially on the second serve return, was taking it and was putting it in a place where Berrettini had to hit a first ball backhand, which just immediately gives Djokovic the edge and the point. It, it was a, a really, really high percentage of the time. Um, and if I'm pulling up win on second serve percentage, Berrettini's at 42%. And he's got one of the best kick serves, one of the best second serves in, in the men's game. It's routinely above 100 miles per hour. So I'm with you that, you know, getting it to the back end, the return, one in the same in this case, but it was absolutely massive for Novak. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Um... Okay, I think I think we cover that win well. We talked about how Djokovic has that has a lot of uh, advantages against an opponent like Berrettini because of the return um, and, and how disruptive that can be. Let's get to Nadal and Schwartzman. 11 to one head to head, but these matches just don't feel easy for Nadal at all. I almost feel like that that number's misleading. And this one wasn't e easy either. Um, I mean, 
Joel, I, I know you've covered a couple of Nadal Schwartzman matches. Uh, is would you say that I'm uh, I have the right idea there that that Schwartzman does a lot of things that challenges him? Spirited workouts, but it's also a case. And if David Ferrar taught us anything, is that if you play somewhat like someone, the way Schwartzman plays somewhat like Nadal, you know, in the grinding baseline, you don't lose to them uh, 52% of the time. You lose to them 85% of the time because at heart, it's like anything you can do, I do better. And it just becomes a case. And we saw it vividly in this match. Schwartzman, I mean, he's a, he's a people's choice. He's a beloved player. He's admired for that because it is kind of like he's a, he leaves it all out there. But Nadal has more to leave. It's just, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, you're going to stay with me. And then at a certain point, and it's, look at that, four all, uh, three, four in the third set, and Nadal wins nine straight games. Done. And so yeah. Schwartzman, he's, he only has so many questions he can ask Nadal. That becomes the problem for him in a best of five set. When Rome, when he beat him, two out of three, okay, I can keep, I can keep it going that long. But we all know how tough it is to do that for four and five sets versus Nadal. I just uh, caught most of the second set, the set that Rafa lost. And it seemed to me that for a brief moment, he stopped running around to hit forehand. And balls that were hit to the middle of the court, he was taking as a backhand. And uh, he missed several forehands. So it's like he temporarily lost his forehand just for that set. But then, you know, he got it back and it was, it was lights out after that. Well, yeah, by the third set, he was thinking, all right, core competency, enough, stop that. Yeah, he, as if he, he kind of, that gives Schwartzman some breathing room and Schwartzman's got to hit, got to hit balls early, got to hit big cross court backhands, got to find channel some of his, his inner Novak and go after it and but it's just it's the huff and you puff and then it's like okay oh my god and then it's like boom that was the fourth set right that that like oh, yeah after like it, it was over first game of the fourth set was horrendous by schwartzman and it was just match over because it, it takes so much energy for him to stay with nadal that's right it just takes so much and also if you go down you go down uh two sets to one on the versus nadal on clay you're looking, you've already had one long shift at the office. Wait, you mean it's a second shift I got to do now? I mean, it really is. Yeah. It really is an, an incredible. And, and when, when someone comes along who does that in 15 years, they're going to be a pretty impressive person who can do that versus Nadal. But I think I get the sense that Nadal is going to age out in Roland Garros before he gets beaten out. We talk about the importance of Nadal's forehand on this surface. And I think that this match just kind of flowed with it. I think he started good and then he did lose his forehand um, and he was hitting it too loopy and spinny and Schwartzman was actually moving inside the court and just cutting it off on the rise. And it's just so amazing how well he times that. And then Nadal found his forehand. How about this? He hit 25 total forehands in the fourth set. Seven of them finished the points and he didn't miss a single one. So that's 28% winner slash forced error rate when Nadal had a forehand. I mean, it's wow. like, that's, that's off the charts. Yeah. That's something that Novak is going to have to be aware of and, and try to dent that somehow. Mm -hmm. Well, Novak, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of awareness of Rafa. So he's got, he's got a lot of things. I mean, I, 
he might have i wonder if he's watched that rome final as much as you amy yeah. Well, here I go. I'll watch it again. I'm going to watch it again. So yeah, Novak, that's, uh, I, again, hand is a Schwartzman. I mean, he's a, he's a great player, but again, he's, he's up against a genius. Do we, uh, do we read into these quarterfinal matchups at all as we transition into previewing the semifinal um, between Nadal and Djokovic in terms of how each opponent prepared, didn't prepare, took energy out, you know, taught us about, about form. Is there anything to take away from these quarterfinals that might be meaningful in the semifinal? I think that Novak really wants this. Um, I think he, he is really fired up and um, he didn't like what happened to him in the 2020 final. And he remembers that maybe more than he lets on. And um, I think he's very motivated to try this. And uh, he, he's not just going to give it to Rafa. Um, I think, though, to look back on those quarterfinals, I think the answer is no. Because I think in a way, the, it's like we've each dispensed of our guys. Now comes the real big one. So there isn't kind of like a data point or a technical point. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's a little bit. I, it's a little bit the way I look back at the Everett Navratilova rivalry. They pretty much took care of a lot of their other WTA rivals along the path, and now it's us again. Here we are again, and with us is going to be Chapter Fifty Eight. In this, they they're, they played Fifty Seven, so this will be Twenty Eight and Twenty Nine, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Novak. And and yep. and the other thing, if if we want to segue into this, I think they've had um three different phases over the course of their Roland Garros time. They're, 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 I call Novak's years of early toil where Rafa beat him three straight times from 06 to 08. Then came kind of the, the Sisyphus years where, where Novak kind of kept trying to push, the, push it up the hill and to beat Rafa. He finally got him in 2015, but then he didn't win the tournament. So it was kind of like a bittersweet thing and he, and he clobbered Rafa in 15. And then they went another five years without playing and they played last year, and um, no one would have seen that score. The, the, the winner, hmm, maybe Novak, maybe Rafa, let's see. Even there was some talk, like, remember, Gordon Ivanizic was thinking that, sure, Novak should win. And A little biased. There's all this kind of fabricating. <laughs> Didn't all he say this... something like he was going to crush Rafa? I mean. Whatever it was, well, he, whatever, he put a clipping on Rafa's locker room. Because, mm -hmm. But no one could have seen what those first two sets were of that final. 0-2, the first, that's just, and I, and I agree with you, Amy, of course, that Novak, it's like, okay, I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen again this way. Right. So yeah. in total, it's seven to one lifetime in favor of Nadal. Uh, I tend to agree with you, Joel, about the quarterfinals not telling us much, especially I just, I, I, I feel like Novak has not faced an opponent that is really going to tell us much about how we'd match up with Nadal. Berrettini and Nadal as players just don't resemble each other. M Musetti's a guy in his first career Grand Slam main draw. Um, so I, I, I don't know how much you could, you could read into that one. And then it was easy peasy before then. So I, I feel like I don't even have a great read on, on where Novak's at. And sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes you just don't, you don't get that where I think, you know, Nadal playing Nadal's had a similar thing, but at least, you know, I, I do think that we've seen his, his, him pressured a little bit more than Novak well, other but, than 
other than Musetti, though, who just went away. But stylistically, you can't prepare. There's no one you could play that can stylistically that can prepare you for playing the Dow. To yeah. prepare to play Novak, that's the contemporary game. So you see aspects of Novak in Schwartz, and you see aspects of Novak even in Sinner. And you see, you know, it's kind of the what I call the contemporary, the two-handed backhand, the good ground chokes, the forceful defense. But also, also, I think given the plane of life these guys exist on, even that doesn't matter because now it's us. You know, now yeah. it's yes. now it's super yes. bands. So now yes. take your sinners. It's the way I wrote. I wrote this. So I, I wrote last week about the Friday semi. There's an interesting sense that goes on at the tournament. It's kind of exciting because now we're going to make the history that's going to be remembered. We're past the cult matches. We're past the upsets. We're past kind of the, the curiosities that make the festival fun. But now we're getting down to the real part of memory. And it's also a little, it's also a little sad because the circus is about to end. But now we're getting down to the, the real high stakes business. And so that's where it's like, okay, this is where we, are, we need to be. And this is me and you, Novak, and, and Roger's been in this. And so the, the, all the other stuff kind of like, fades back that was that's so tuesday that's so third round i will say that the atp is really well positioned i believe after the big three hang up their sneakers because they've got these great characters emerging and in the other semifinal, you've got a matchup between Pass, who by all accounts seems to be a future star and zverev who is um, also, you know, quite good. How his personality emerges at, at both on and off the court, we'll, we'll have to see, but his tennis is certainly spectacular. So, um, you know, they've got the Italians, the ATP, they've got uh, the Russians and Medvedev and Rublev, all these characters with, with different kinds of games and, and really interesting games emerging. So I, I think the... ATP is going to be okay. I'm a little more worried about the WTA and what's happening on the women's side. But, um, you know, none of that, the future really doesn't matter now because we got the matchup we wanted the semifinal. Right. Novak and Rafa. The tournament, when I look at time and the tournament itself, just the 2021 Roland Garros mm-hmm. for this matchup, it's kind of like, well, here, here we are, me and you, chapter 58. And all this other stuff fades. Yeah, for the future moving forward, no question. I think, yeah, you you, you nailed it, Amy. There's some great men's players. I, I think I I think the um I think there are a great many WTA players too. And I think this is an an intriguing w, WTA tournament. We won't dwell on it. It's a little beyond our show, but um yeah, this was kind of interesting. Probably the um lowest ranked number of women in the semis of a major in the open era ever. But that those things happen, and then uh. And, and one of them is going to be a, a slam champ by mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon. Another so first gonna... time slam champ. Yeah. Right. And so there'll be, and, and, you know, and I suspect, I suspect when the three are gone on the men, we're going to have a series of that. I mean, it's hard to imagine there's going to be some men who are going to emerge, who are going to start racking up their eight slams in a few years, the way Roger and Rafa did, but that, I could be wrong. It'll be an interesting time, but at least it'll be compelling. Well, they'll, they'll, well, I think they'll all, I think they're all compelling. I mean, I think these, I think what we're seeing in the game, as you mentioned, the men and the, the women, many different styles are emerging, different countries, different styles. It's kind of, it, it's an intriguing time. But again, to get back to, 
to Novak and Rafa, and maybe we should dive into some of the X's and O's. They're just yeah. all along. We've been uh, for so long. We were paying attention to the Roger and Rafa as the rivalry, but the real big rivalry of this of this golden era is Novak and Nadal. That's the rivalry because the the closest in age, the great matches they've had at just about at every major. I believe one of them, it might have been Rafa, said that about Novak that that he's my biggest rival. I, I think Novak's he did. The third child. Novak's the third child. Hey, look at me! And now look how look how great he is. He's right in there in all this history. I I always say this that on paper, you really can't make an argument for for other you know rivalries in the men's game. I mean, this is it. But I think if you go kind of beyond the on paper and you and you kind of take into account the experience of this rivalry there is one knock on it it has been very predictable based on surface uh they have really struggled to beat each other and it's gotten a, a lot worse in this respect since uh since Djokovic returned to form in in 20 um in 2017 18. in 2018 my bad 2018 um where Nadal, they had that great Wimbledon semifinal in 2018. But other than that, it's been pretty straightforward for Nadal on the hard courts. And it's been pretty straightforward in, in the one really, oh, excuse me, for Djokovic on hard courts. And it's been straightforward in the one example we have for Nadal on the clay court. That's the knock. The question is, can Djokovic change that? Can he, can he, uh, you know, surprise people here? Because at this point, I think that, you know, Nadal based on what happened last year. And then even what happened in Rome, you know, he comes in as the base, you know, the historical favorite. I think though, I, okay, here's a, here's a way to look at it. What really defines What are the aspects that define a great rivalry? You know, it's a great rivalry. We look at some great rivalries for what came of their matches and where they, but we also look at rivalries for what we hope they could be. So going into a 2019 Australian open final, we thought, Hmm, Rafa's been in the finals. The last time these guys played in the final, it was, it was an epic. So might it well be again? Oh my God, it wasn't. Look how great Novak played. But it's yes. not going in. We didn't anticipate it. And then last year, we did. I, I, the scenario, I did not anticipate that Novak was going to destroy Rafa in that 2019 Australian Open final. Last year in Paris, the anticipation of what it could be based on lots of other places. And we didn't think that. So it doesn't diminish the significance of the rivalry, it's just kind of remarkable. It is remarkable how looking backwards at it, you see these things, this, this surface dominance, these other things. So for example, if they play yet again at Wimbledon, just cause I believe Novak has never lost to Rafa at Wimbledon. I think they played a couple of times there, or maybe he has, either way, it's not like, it's, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. It's like Agassi playing, it's like uh, Sampras playing Guga on grass. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking yeah. this could still be kind of great. And Rafa has, you know, stolen a couple of uh, U.S. Opens on hard court in recent years. That was the last uh, time, though. We have to go back to 20. That, the last time he beat Novak on a hard court, you have to go back to 2013. So Right. Now, you're talking about the head-to-head, -head, but I'm just yeah. talking about winning, winning titles. Um, you know, it's just interesting to me that of the big three, Roger has won one French and Novak has won one French and Rafa has won one Australian. So they each have one slam that they've only won once. 
And every time you get a situation like this, um, it's uh, an opportunity for someone to grab another that he only has one of. So I think it's fascinating. Oh, there's all these neat things. And it's, and it's also interesting about these things with the three and all their accomplishments. I was talking to someone about this a, a little while ago about the various cases, the various who's beating who and who did what where and who didn't meet to infinity, to infinity and beyond. You could go with these kind of cases and notions and, and Roger's older and they weren't even there to meet him. And look how much he cleaned up. Is that good? Is that bad? weak draws, different people. Novak had to climb past each of them, but yet what has he done here? It's just, it's just, it's just fantastic. And there's no, there's no winner. And the biggest winner people get to watch because again, what's exciting is our chance to watch these guys go to it on clay. We just spoke a couple weeks ago about that great Rome final, which is really fun to -hmm. watch them go tooth and nail. Amy, how many times have you seen it by now? Well, three times, but it's interesting to me that Rafa won. He took two sets and Novak took one set. It's like, it makes you wonder if Novak is getting closer to figuring him out on clay and, and, you know, losing the way he did in the 2020 Roland Garros final, I just... I just wonder, you know, what is going to be his strategy to take sets off this guy? Well, but what's interesting is how they, um, he, he figured him out. Remember, he beat him in 2011. Novak beat Rafa a couple of times on clay. So he thought he'd figured him out. But then since he was beating Rafa, otherwise, that, this is the great thing about competition. He, they keep asking questions of each other. I mean, and you, you know, I've, I've had a, a 20 plus year career in sports of all kinds, basketball, football, soccer, hockey. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that sports can really deviate from the script. And you just never know. Novak could win and then lose to Tsitsipas in the final. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. And that's what makes it so exciting. Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's where we have... Uh... It's where surprises aren't, um, aren't negative. Most parts of life surprises are, um, are, are treacherous. We don't usually like surprises, but sports, hey, okay. So it's, it's the best. Okay, it's fine. Surprise, that's fine. Anyway. So, so how does Novak look to change the tide here? He, he looks at, okay, this is what went wrong in the last couple times that I've played Rafa on clay how do I begin to, to try to correct these things? Well, last show, I talked about my story about the third shot and how Rafa really dominated him on that plus one shot, uh, especially big was the differential. So Rafa was winning a lot on his serve plus one, and he was stopping Novak from winning on his serve plus one. So we talked about that. Another thing to keep an eye on is just return errors. Um, When they played in the 2020 Roland Garros final, um, you know, Rafa, let's see, where's that stat? 11 to four on, on return errors. So Rafa elicited 11 return errors out of Djokovic um, to only four for Novak on Rafa. Just something to keep in mind. That was in, in Rome, oh, right? No, that was uh, Roland Garros. Oh, that was the oh, but By the way, I need to qualify that. That stat does not include aces, but it does include service winners. So yeah. 
you know, if, if the ball careened off his racket or whatever, then, then that it's an error, but that it's also counts as a service winner. And Nadal only made four return. So here's, so, okay. So here's the rest. So here's the recipe for Novak. Here, here's one thing of thinking about Novak needs to prevent third shot damage from Nadal. Right. Novak needs to return in a way. I do not want to get hurt by the third shot of the rally. So in an odd way, Another phase, and this is an interesting statistical thing, he needs to return some form of bigger, whether it's higher, deeper, definitely deeper, deep, definitely not deeper, but attain depth. So the question is, where does he stand? He, he knows where Rafa is going to be serving a lot of the time. So where does he stand to do that, to accomplish such objective to not get hurt? So where is he going to, in his return, does he, does he stand around does he stand in the ad court does he put even his right foot in the alley and take the second serve and hit it not inside in which is the low percentage hit it high deep forehand to rafa's forehand inside it. some way of not being hurt by rafa's next shot that's his that's his biggest that's his first i think that's challenge one and then the challenge two as you say is okay then when he's then when he's serving this is this is right down to the forehand it's the forehand of each. How does it's like, and we even saw that in the Berrettini match. Novak, third shot, forehand. Nadal's not missing that shot. Though he's, he's had his moments, but Nadal's going to hit that shot, has a lot more margin built into that shot. Gil, what do you think? Well, I think it hinges entirely on the dynamic in the short points, zero through four shots where Nadal has crushed Novak in, in back-to-back meetings on clay now. And I think that will have more to do with, Novak on serve than it will Nadal on serve. I think, I, I think that Djokovic needs to step up his first serve, first forehand game. And that might be following up his aggression, his early aggression to the net. Um, it might just be hitting bigger, you know, heavier, higher racket speed, more margin over the net on his forehand, which I think he is doing this year a little bit more compared to last year in terms of his return you know, there's definitely, I'll be interested to see if he tries different things with his return position and his targets on the return, but it's also, you know, I wonder what he hasn't tried before. And at the end of the day, some of this is going to come down to skills and how well is he going to execute his skills versus Nadal's skills? You know, not all of it is going to hinge. And I try to keep this in mind as someone who, who, who loves tennis tactics so much that sometimes I can forget about the execution, you know, at a certain point, it's Djokovic needs to hit his forehand this well because you know Nadal's going to hit it this well, and Novak needs to get up to that level. I, I also am really curious about how well the drop shot's going to work for Novak because we know that it did not work in last year's final. That he really Novak really got burned on that. Um, mm-hmm. Rafa just took him to lunch on that. Uh, but these are different conditions. So um, if you really get a lot of backspin on that, on that drop shot, it's kind of a different ball game. So uh, that'll be a key to watch. Should we talk about, about why do you, I think, I think Nadal is one of the best players I've ever seen retrieving drop shots because you never know what he's going to do with it. He's incredible at the redrop. It's his favorite one and he can do it line and he can do it short angle cross court. He can punch it deep. Like he is so in control on drop shot retrieval that if he gets there, he always does something great with it. And he's a great, he's got a great overhead. So if you try to lob him, 
he's good at that too and he's so agile um and he can also lob (laughs) rafa can they both can they both have all these shots which is what it's just so amazing well i think though i think though um nadal is better in the front part of the court than novak i think yes i I would agree with that and i think um uh, I also think, though, when you talk about conditions, I saw during the Schwarzen match because the, the weather, the ball was uh, the forehand cross court was bouncing six inches higher than it was last year in their semi with Schwarzman. So I think now, granted for Novak, that's less of an issue than it is for a one-handed backhand, you know, to field that ball. But it'll be interesting to see how he how he deals with it. I you think know, it can it, still be an issue for him against against Nadal on yeah. this surface. You know, right. not on other surfaces. It doesn't it doesn't bounce up high enough. Um, so okay, here Nadal, the pressure is largely on him. You know, he's uh, he's the one that is always defending Court Philippe Chatrier, and he goes out here to do it again. And now, by the way, it's you know this tournament could hold special meaning to him if he wins it because he will have passed Roger Federer. It would be major number twenty one. Um, So from Nadal's perspective, let's talk some X factors, what he needs to execute. And, uh, you know, just based on what we've seen from him, you know, there, there have been some things that have been on and off throughout the clay court season. So what's the main key for you uh, when it comes to Nadal's game, Amy? The forehand. And is he running around the forehand? Um, Is he in command? Is he um, giving himself enough margin, but also giving himself enough depth? I mean, we've all seen those matches where, you know, he's doing the, uh, uh, but it's only the ball is really only bouncing around the service line. So um, that'll be a key. And um, how well will he return? Um, today was a matchup of good returner, great returners, Schwartzman and Rafa, and Rafa got the best of that one. It'll be another matchup of great returners. So, um, you know, what, what will Novak do with Rafa's return position? That's always a question. Mm-hmm. I want to spin something back, though, on this pressure thing. I don't think, first of all, this whole thing with pressure is always kind of a funny kind of term. It's like confidence, all these kind of like illusion-like concepts that are illusions that kind of exist that carry weight, but pressure smasher. I'm no, if you're Novak, you're going in on a court where you're one in seven versus a guy where the guy pummeled you, where you're the number one player in the world, but here you are again. I mean, so pressure is like this thing that everyone, I don't know, he's got the pressure's on him. Well, but pressure is a privilege. It's good to feel pressure. I'm a competitor. I thrive under pressure. So it's all this kind of spinach. And I think one of the things that makes Nadal so great is that he knows how to kind of tune all that out more than anyone in the history of the game. Novak has learned to, but he's learned to. And you could see even at the end of this match that the aspects of the dimension of the world, Nadal isn't having to scream like that at the end of a fourth set tiebreaker. He might be frustrated in other ways, but just the way he comports himself. Now, I think Novak, for example, if Novak can win this match and go on to win the title, that might be maybe the greatest effort of Novak's career. I mean, or up there with the Houdini at Wimbledon a couple of years ago. So Novak knows the pressure's on him because Nadal has been house money here for so long. The pressure's on him to come up with things. And I like what you said, Gil. Yeah, maybe look, strategy, I mean, strategy, tactics, wrinkles, shots. I played you 57 times. What do we not know? What's it gonna be? I've 
I'm Novak Djokovic, I've got 11,000 ranking points. So a lot of it is, you're right, in the execution, in, in that return being that much deeper, in that chance, in that arrival of the net being that much more decisive. I mean, look, even that third set last year was 7-5, and who knows if Novak sneaks out of that, now we're in a fourth set. I mean... Well, Novak just did press, and I, I like this quote. He said about Rafa, vibes are different walking on the court with him. And I, when he first said it, I kind of thought, you know, the greatness, and that's, I'm sure he meant that to a certain extent, but vibes are always different. Rafa's got his routines, you know, he makes you wait. From the get-go, you're going to be out there in the middle of the court waiting to do the toss. And Rafa makes you go first. And, you know, vibes are different with him. And Rafa, though, it's funny. I was thinking about that. I was talking to someone about this, about uh, like with Rafa, if you asked him about that vibes, he'd say vibes are the same. Everyone, I don't, everyone is worthy of my thing. You know, I'm, I'm playing, you know, he, he's playing one of us. He's saying, you know, I can't underestimate anyone. And sort of in his training, I was thinking of like, I was talking to someone about coming out with a, a book that's part true, part fictitious of the, the life wisdom of Tony Nadal. You know, of all of the Tony things that Tony has said that all come back to the same thing about the, the tough love. No, Rafa, take out the garbage this week. It's your turn. I mean, just constant ways that Nadal by his family member who's an uncle has so put in his operating system, these kind of values about competition and all that stuff. And it so allows him to kind of like tune out some of the things that can make it hard. And that's what makes Nadal such a great competitor. I was talking with a, a, a meditation friend of mine and we talk about the whole thing about being present. And one of the things we so love about sports is we get to witness someone being present in a way that's hard in the rest of life. And look how well Nadal does that. Like so, and you see Novak, Novak has learned to do that pretty darn well too. But we know one of the things that's so sizzling about Rafa, and I'm not saying I like one more than the other. I'm just speaking to their their qualities. And then you throw in this clay, this surface, this earth. I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable. So I, I'm very excited to see this match. I mean, I think they've had a lot of tight matches. I think the one last year in the final was almost a, a real outlier. So I think this is going to be really, really interesting. Well, Nadal has never lost once he's passed the quarterfinal at Roland Garros. So this is Djokovic also looking to make um, a fair bit of history. Um, what are you most excited to see? Uh, Joel just said a little bit of, of why he's looking forward to this matchup. Amy, what do, what do you have your eye on? Oh, um, you know, the whole reason that I got into covering tennis after I had covered many other sports is these three guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they brought me into this area of sport and now it's coming true that I get to watch these guys, you know, and, and I don't want to say the twilight of their career because, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I get to see them in their glory. And that's what I'm looking forward to doing what I set out to do, which is observe these guys in, in all their glory. And be fully in it. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right. I'm just looking forward to an incredible problem solver um, in Novak Djokovic trying to solve the toughest riddle in all of tennis. 
in Rafael Nadal on court Philippe Chatrier when he's at his best at the end of the French Open. And uh, it's very reminiscent to me of on the micro in tennis, one person serving, Rafa's trying to hold serve. It's a little bit harder breaking serve. You might have to reach into your bag of tricks. And that's what I think Novak is going to need to try to do here. All right, we are looking forward to it. That'll do it for this episode of three. Make sure you're following on all podcast platforms. Leave a rating and review on Apple. Like the video and comment on YouTube. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.